Thanks for listening to the Calvary Baptist Church Podcast. For more information, check us out at cbctaylorville.com. Join us now as Pastor Steve delivers this week's message. I want to say thank you once again for being with us this morning here at, uh, here at Calvary. Uh, whether you're here with us in person or you're watching us online, I'm glad that you are joining us today. And we're looking forward to what God's going to say. We've, uh, my wife and I were gone the last couple of weeks, so it's good to be back for us. And as you've noticed, a lot of things can happen in two weeks, right? Uh, if you're watching online, there's a little thing on my hand that wasn't there when I left, right? Um, there is a great story that goes with this cast. That, you know, there's danger and waterfalls and, and a lot of things. And, and then there's also the truth. <laughs> and the truth is I'm clumsy and I hate hammocks, okay? I'll, that's all I'm going to say right now. And if you want the real story, I'll give it to you later. But uh, I do... I do appreciate the, what the Lord's been doing in your life. I, I want to thank Josh and our staff for their work while we were gone in our absence for all that they did, and uh, I'm very grateful to have uh, those folks and what God is doing there. Uh, Randy Harp, I watched the, the uh, show last week, and he did a great job, and I'm just thankful that we have friends like that in ministry. So again, it's good to be here, and I'm glad God is working in our lives. I want to share with you next Sunday... We're going to begin a series, and you'll see the, the, the graphic. It's called The Father's House. And uh, if you didn't realize, one of God's most repeated descriptions of himself in the Bible, especially in the New Testament, is when he describes himself as Father. And we're going to look at that, and I hope be encouraged by what that means to us, what Jesus taught us about the Father and being a part of the Father's house. So I invite you to, to be with us and even bring a friend with you or uh, have them uh, be online with you just to hear about what the Father's house has to say to us. But this morning, if you have your Bibles or electronic devices, I would invite you to follow me to Luke chapter number 5. We're going to spend our time uh, primarily in that passage this morning. And, and in this passage of Luke chapter number 5, I'm, I'm going to just kind of start, kind of give an overview of what we're going to look and then we're going to kind of come back and fill in the blanks and unpack it. But here was, here's what we're going to call today. Our theme, our title, if you would, for today's message is simply this. Holy jeans and old wine bottles. Now, some of you that are familiar with the scriptures, you probably already know where this is going if you've read this story. Some of you didn't realize that this was actually in the Bible. Holy jeans and old wine bottles. Okay, so maybe I've modernized the words just a little bit. But the concept is there and, and I hope that you're going to see that today, and I think Jesus has some incredible things for us to learn from this picture that he's going to paint for us. Matthew chapter 5, I'll start with verse 36 again. I'll fill in the blanks as we move through, but he, we see this. Jesus, he told them this parable. No one tears a piece out of a new garment. That's the jeans that we're talking about, okay? So we're talking about these, this new garment. They don't, they don't tear the piece to patch an old one. Then he goes on in verse 37, he says, And no one pours new wine into old wine skins. Or there's our old wine bottles that we're talking about. You'll, you'll see as we go along. But verse 38, no, new wine must be poured into new wine skins. And no one after drinking old wine wants the new, for they say the old is better. Let me just give you a thought that I want you to kind of chew on as we walk through today, and we're going to kind of attack it in a couple different, different ways. It's actually a statement and a question. The, the statement goes like this. God is doing something. 
God is up to something, and when he's up to something, he's always up to something good. But God is doing something. He's doing something in our community, doing something in our world. He's doing something in the church. He's doing something in our church. But the second part is a question. Are you ready and willing to join him? God is doing something. Are you ready and willing to join him? I want you to keep that thought in mind, and we're going we're to come back to it as we walk through this. But let me, let me take you back to this parable, this picture that we, that we painted, that we, we read. It's kind of an interesting little story. Uh, it's, it's interesting in a couple of ways. One is, uh, the first three Gospels, the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all three of them record the same parable. So obviously there was something God had that he wanted us to grab. He repeats it three different times. And, and so in this is an important lesson for us. So today we want to start by just pondering that picture. What is the illustration? And, and if you haven't picked up on it yet, let me just go back and kind of explain it. But to start off with, let's, let's understand something. Probably when Jesus gives this parable, there was probably, it probably brought laughter. There was probably a comedy in this. I, I don't know if you've ever heard this before, but the, the language of the scriptures and the culture of that day kind of indicates that Jesus had a pretty good sense of humor. When he would say some things, in that language, they were probably at least smiling, if not, if not laughing, even, even just breaking out in laughter. Now, it doesn't translate always in English that way. Sometimes it says it, and we, we don't see the humor in it. But I guarantee you, when he gave these parables, the, the ones we're looking at today, there was probably some laughter in the group. Because basically what he thinks he's going to say is, people just don't do that. It, it's such a ridiculous, absurd illustration of things that people... Sensible people just wouldn't do what he's about to describe to us. Let me go back and describe it. Verse 36 again. No one tears a piece out of a new garment to patch an old one. Otherwise, they will have torn the new garment, and the patch from the new will not match the old. All right, so today I, want, I brought a couple of pictures along to help us understand these parables. In front of me here, we have, we would call these uh, seasoned jeans, right? Broken in. These are the comfortable ones. These are the ones you like to wear, right? They feel good on you. But you notice they have a couple of, of, of air, you know, things for the air to get in, even in a lot of good places, right? They, they, this is our holy jeans. This is the holy garment that we're talking about. Now, some of you can identify with this. Some of us are old enough to recognize that there used to be a time when holes in your jeans were not a good thing. Anybody remember that? Okay. Things have changed, haven't they? Now, the fashion industry has turned holy jeans into an art form. Okay. Oh, case in point, right? Okay, you get that, right? It, think about this. You take a perfectly good new pair of jeans, and then you bleach all the color out of it. Then you cut holes in it and make sure it's frayed so it looks old, and then you sell it. What a great country, right? And then your grandma says, oh, honey, can I buy you a new pair of jeans? And you say, grandma, these are new, right? They cost me 100 bucks, right? So it's, we, we get that, okay? But let's just say, for, for giggle's sake, that you didn't want holes in your jeans, okay? Let's just say that. You got a hole in your jeans, and you didn't want those. What, what do you do? You patch them. You either get new jeans, or you patch the old ones. My mom, when I grew up, I wore tough skin jeans. Anybody old enough to remember tough skins? They were a Sears brand, and they actually came with a guarantee that if you put a hole in the knee, they would replace them free. My mom bought me a pair of jeans at eight, 
Never had to buy another one again because I put holes in tough skin jeans, right? I was always getting a new pair of jeans because that, that was the point. You get a hole, you got to fix it. Okay, so here's what Jesus is telling us. The picture is pretty obvious that any rookie hole patcher of, of garments would know that you wouldn't take a new pair of jeans. You wouldn't go out to the store, buy a brand new pair of jeans, and then cut up the new jeans to fix these old seasoned ones. Who does that? That just wouldn't make any sense because, for one, you would tear up the new jeans that you just purchased, but also Matthew's uh, version of this, he, he says in chapter 9, 16, no one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth and puts it on, uh, uh, on an old garment for the patch will tear away. In other words, if you take cloth that's not been shrunk, you sew that onto this, which has obviously been shrunk and seasoned. When that new does shrink, then it's going to tear away and actually make the whole worse. Nobody does that. You see the picture? Okay, that's his first parable. Look at the second one, verse 37. No one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins. The wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. Got another picture for you. I uh, appreciate someone making this for us. It's a picture of, of a, a wineskin that you, you, we've seen for maybe pictures of and throughout history. Of You put liquid in this. And, and this would be something like that. But I don't think this is the, quite the picture Jesus would have had in mind when he was telling this story. The wineskin he's talking about would look more like this. Now, I don't know if you recognize what that is, but that used to be a goat. They literally, their wineskins in that time, they would take a goat, skin it, turn it inside out, and then tie up the holes, <laughs> the arms or the forelegs or the, the neck and the the holes. You know what I'm saying? They would tie those up. They would put the wine in. My thought is, where do you drink from? That's just the question I have. I don't know if you thought about that, but that's just, that does, that's weird to me. Okay, here's, here's what Jesus is saying. No one would take new wine and put it in an old wineskin. And he says, nobody does that. That's a ridiculous thing. But let me explain why. Here was the concept. That wineskin, the new wineskin, you would take the new wine, you'd pour it into a new wineskin, and as the new wine would have this, gas, this gaseous stuff in there as it's, as it's new, it would expand the wineskin. Well, since it's a new wineskin, it would stretch. That's what it's meant to do. That's perfect. That's what it was all intended to do. But then when you'd pour out the wine and you'd empty that wineskin, that particular material would not shrink back. It would stay stretched. So what would happen then if you pour new wine and fill that wine skin up again, and when that new wine would expand, what would it do? It would crack and ultimately burst that old wine skin. And Jesus said, who would do that? That doesn't make any sense. To put new wine in old wine skin is ridiculous. It's, it's not something that has been done. And, and so that's the picture that Jesus is giving for us. That's all great. I, I love the pictures but why, Jesus? Why are you giving us this story? What could we possibly learn from old holy jeans and old wineskins? To do that, let's consider the context of what we're, we're talking about. You look back a few verses. We go back to verse 33, and we get an idea now why Jesus gave this parable. It tells us, verse 33, they, there's a group of folks, disciples of the Pharisees and of John, and they say to him, John's disciples often fast and pray. 
Well, that sounds good. We're, we're, no one's arguing there. And so the disciples of the Pharisees. But your disciples, Jesus, they just go on eating and drinking. Verse 34, Jesus answered, Can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and in those days they will fast. Let's make sure we understand, just, just clarifying, you know what a fast is. When he's talking about a fast, some, most of you know it. It might be a medical fast or a spiritual fast. Simply put, it means you're just intentionally not going to eat for a period of time, right? There's the, the, the food, you're just not, you're, it, here's what we know, the Old Testament, book of Leviticus, in the law, the Jewish, the Jewish folks, those that worshiped in, in the Jewish faith, they were required one day a year to have a, a, a fast during the time of the Day of Atonement. That was a requirement by law. My, I I'm, would dare to believe that Jesus and his disciples participated in that fast once a year because it was part of the law. That's not the fast that these guys are talking about when they're, they're questioning Jesus. Because that fast, part of the law, they're, they're, then it later, tradition became a part of it. Man-made customs added to that one time a year fast. So the time that they're talking about, this was now more the man-made idea of the fasting. And these disciples are talking about, they, by, by history, fasted probably two or three times a week. They would put off food for two or three times a week. And it wasn't just not eating. And, and I really think there was some, some noble intentions behind this because they, they, were, they, they felt the need. There was a time of grief and there was a time of, they were looking forward to the Messiah to come. And so they were, they were mourning. There was, wasn't a bad intention, but it began to be something totally different than what God had intended in, in fasting. In fact, here's what history tells us, that often those fasting, those described, would take ash, like from the fireplace, white ash, and they'd put it on their face so that everybody knew that they were fasting. They were mourning. They wanted to make sure that everybody knew that. And, and even at times when they would pray, they had three times a day they would pray. They would make sure, they'd, oh, it's time to pray. They'd go somewhere where everyone could see them so they could see them mourning and pray. So it became a production. It wasn't just about putting off food for mourning. It was a, it was a production before the people. And, and so, here, in essence, what these folks are saying to Jesus is, now, Jesus, all the really religious people, they fast two or three times a week. But you and your disciples, hmm, you don't, you don't fast. What, what's, what's up there? Why is that? You, you see what they're, they're trying to say, that somehow you're not as religious or you're, there's something. Essentially, though, what Jesus responds to them is, guys, what you're missing is, this is a time of celebration, if what my followers are starting to realize is I am the one that you've been looking for. I'm the bridegroom. I am the Messiah. This is a time to celebrate. I have come, and my, my followers are starting to, to realize that. But what Jesus is doing, these new things that Jesus is doing, they just don't fit into the cultural and the religious norms of the people. And so the people are bothered by this new way of 
doing things, even whether they're the religious or others. They just, this isn't familiar to them. His actions, these new things that Jesus is doing with the people, that they're a sign now that Jesus is ushering in a whole new way of relating and interacting with God. In fact, later in Jesus' life, he's going, as he lives perfectly, he's going to die, he's going to rise again and literally usher in what we refer to as a, a new covenant. He's bringing something new to the people, and, and they're just not it's just not what they're used to. And so the new is starting to bother them. And he's trying to say, but this is what it's all about. He's trying to show them the importance of this. It's new, but it just wasn't what they were, what they were used to. They were wanting a Messiah to come to, to defeat the Romans, to be the ones that come and give them freedom as, as a people and, and to be a revolutionary. And here's the thing, all these new things Jesus is doing and the things that they don't recognize, it's more revolutionary than they could ever imagine, but it wasn't what they had expected. It wasn't what they had anticipated. And so the new is starting to bother them. And he's giving, now knowing their confusion, even some of their doubts and not understanding why he does some of the things he does, it's with all that thought in mind that Jesus now gives us these two illustrations. And I'm going to take from these illustrations and now what he, is, what he was using at that time, and let's, let's apply this truth that Jesus has for us. And I think that one of the keys is verse number 38. Let me go back and read it again. After this, this he summarizes this parable, this analogy with this. No, new wine must be poured into new wine skins. This is the kind of the principle I've been just chewing on for the last several days. It is the conclusion, but let's make sure we get what he's saying. New wine requires new wineskins. That's simply what he's saying. And, and to anything different is, is ridiculous. But let's make sure we understand. He's not talking about jeans and wineskins, is he? He's talking about people. He's talking about people's lives and the way people act and people's hearts and people's minds. He's He's using this as, a, as an illustration, and he's saying something about this new wine. There's, there's several things I'm sure we could learn from this. Let me just pull out four thoughts as, as we were kind of walk, as walking through it this week. First, we'd go something like this. God is doing something new in people's lives, and they're missing it. Here's what we, we get. He's pointing out this new thing, and, and it's, it's a grand new thing that he's introducing, and he will... But, but they're missing it. It's just, it's just not making sense to them. Which kind of reminds me of the verse that we've been looking at all summer, Isaiah chapter 59, remember that? Where, where Isaiah uh, repeats God who says, see, I am doing a new thing. He said, and, and now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. That whole chapter of Isaiah 43, there's some incredible predictions that uh, that God gives Isaiah to give to the people. And even towards the end, he even uh, references Jesus and the forgiveness of sins. But we got to remember, it's also an historical record of what God is going to do in the, in the lives of the people that were, were going to be in captivity in Babylon and how God's going to deliver them. He's going to do this new thing in their lives. But the next verse begins to kind of Alarm me as I keep reading. Verse number 20, we've not shared this before. He said, the wild animals, they honor me. The jackals and the owls, because I provide water in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. Think about that. The animals give praise to God. 
Sounds kind of like what Jesus said in New Testament when he said, if, if you don't praise me, the rocks are going to cry out, right? The creation knows who God is, and they give praise, and these, these wild animals in the desert, they know God supplies the water in the wasteland, and, and he goes on the next verse, and he knows they give water to give drink to, look at this, my people, to my chosen, to the people that I formed for myself, that, I, that they may proclaim my praise. He says that the animals realize that I have done all this for my people so that they will praise me, so that they will give me honor, so that they will call out to me. The animals get it. But look what he says in the next verse, verse 22. Yet you have not called on me, Jacob. You have not wearied yourselves for me, Israel. God's saying to the people, I've done all this for you. I've provided for you. I've done this new thing, and, and, and you've missed it. You, you've missed my, what I have. You've not followed me. You've not called out to me. Here's what we got to remember. God is up to something. Remember that? And we know that it's something good, but it's possible that God is doing something, and we, we miss it. Isaiah, the people, look all that God is doing. He's going to deliver you, and they still miss what God was doing. You go move to Jesus' day, and people are seeing all that Jesus is doing, and, and you, you mix in the miracles and all his new teaching, and it's phenomenal stuff, and they miss it, and it still moves to today, that God is still working. God is still doing something, and often people are distracted. People aren't listening. Somehow they miss what God is doing. So some people miss it, but let, let me move on to a second thought as we're walking through this. Sometimes the new should have already been the normal. Okay, so we're using that phrase we talked about this summer, the new normal idea. And I know that there are different ideas about that, that particular phrase. But understand, the things that Jesus is saying is new may not have been as brand new as, as the people might have imagined. Back up a little bit in this same story. That, remember I said all three of the Gospels share it. Well, another interesting thing when they shared it is they also shared the same context. Sometimes when they repeat a parable or story, it's in different places. But all three of these, whether this is chronological, at least thematically, Luke has, and all of these, they put this in the same context. Something happens. If you go back to verse uh, 27, this whole fasting question that they have, there was something else that Jesus had done just before this that was quite abnormal. In fact, it would have been shocking to most of the people because in verse 27, Jesus goes to a man named Levi, or you would know him as Matthew, and he invites Matthew to be one of his disciples. Now, that sounds good, right? We, we get that. Wow, that's great. Way to go, Matthew. However, Matthew had a very interesting occupation. Matthew was a tax collector. Now, we, we all have our feelings maybe about IRS. I get that. There was a whole different level of hatred at this point for tax collecting. These were Jews working for the Romans, taking money from their own people. And they were hated by their, their fellow Jews. So can you imagine the disciples? We have no record of the disciples ever commenting on, on Jesus' decision here. But I can just imagine the conversations on the side. What is Jesus up to? What is he thinking? Matthew, tax collector? Matthew also, being in the position he was, had a group of friends that were considered sinners. They were the not only other tax collectors, but others that most of the Jewish people just considered to be nothing. So here's a plot twist. Jesus is invited by Matthew, once he calls him, to a dinner party, 
And in that dinner party, Matthew invites all his friends to join them. So now we have Jesus. He's, in, he's got a tax collector. They're sitting there eating with all of these sinners. Look at the response that the Pharisees gave. Verse 30, the Pharisees, the teachers who belong to that set, they complain to the disciples. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Look at Jesus' answer. It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. This was unusual for any respectable Jew to do what Jesus was doing, but especially a, a teacher. You should know better, teacher, than to be surrounded with these, with these, these people. That, 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 and, and I think what Jesus is telling us, is showing us, that what I'm doing with these folks should have been happening all along. Do you realize, and, and sometimes we actually think of Jesus made the statement, you're to love your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, first and second commandments, right? But do you realize that wasn't new that Jesus said that? Jesus was actually quoting the Old Testament when he made those things. Those quotes actually come from Deuteronomy and Leviticus. Love God, love your neighbor. He was quoting the Old Testament. So it wasn't that this was a new commandment, that you're to love God and love others, but this was a commandment that they were missing, that they weren't doing, or they were underemphasizing. Under and so he's trying to bring it back. Do you realize he's saying to these guys, folks, these folks need God. And you say you know God. You should be going after them to bring them to God. You should have already been doing what I'm doing. The, the new that you're talking about, this the whole new thing of you being with the tax collectors, not fasting, blah, blah, blah. All, this stuff should have been already a part of your life. The new should already be your normal. You know, when I think about what we've talked about in the last several weeks as a church, and, and I, I've talked about this new normal that God has been stirring in my heart and hopefully in yours Here's the thing that has been very real to me. The things we talked about, they were, they're really just core issues. They're issues that we should be constantly doing as a church, and maybe we've lost a little bit of emphasis. Maybe we've not put them in the priority they need to be, and God's showing us we need to be doing those. That's what we should be doing all along. We talked about not just gathering together as people or online, whatever, just being bodies, but actually connecting and helping each other grow spiritually. We should be doing that all the time. We talked about getting outside the walls of the building and reaching the folks that are, that's what Jesus would have done, getting outside these walls. We should be doing that anyway. The fact that sometimes we've got to be putting some of the things behind and moving forward, whether that's guilt or shame or, or things. And, and God spoke to me about, there's some things in my life you've got to put down, bud. You've got to put those away and start moving forward. I don't know what he said. One of the last things we said is, and we've got to do this together. Division not, should not be a part of God's church. We may have differences of opinion on issues, but as followers of Christ, we're on the same team. We're reaching for the same goal. We're following the same Savior. We're supposed to be reaching the same lost people. We're on the same team here, so we got to do that. All of those things that we talked about this summer, none of that's new. That's stuff that we should be doing all along, and God is just reminding us of how important it is that we keep doing what he has called us to do. He's saying to these guys, you should have been doing this all along, but it looks new to you because you're kind of out of practice. It should have been the normal from there. But let me, let me keep moving. Go to verse 39, if you would, here in Luke chapter 5. 
I, I mentioned all three of the Gospels share this. And they're pretty much the same words, except Luke adds this one last thing that the other Gospels didn't add. He said in verse 39, And no one, after drinking old wine, wants the new, for they say, the old is better. Or your version may say, the old is good, or even the old is just fine. Now, I'll, I'll just admit here, I'm not a wine connoisseur. I've heard people say, you know, wine gets better with age. I'll have to take your word for that. I really don't know. But, but here's what I, I understand. That's not what Jesus' point was. The fact of old wine tastes better. What his point he's making is this, that when the new wine comes, maybe we, we would rather just stay with the old because the new is just different. The new is something, maybe the new will be an acquired taste. If God is bringing it and God is doing it, it's going to be better. It's going to be infinitely better. But we're kind of comfortable we are. For, to, to quote one of our friends, we got, we, I, to change means I'm getting uncomfy. <laughs> I, things are, this isn't what I'm familiar with. This isn't what I'm used to. And I would just like to stay with the old because I think the old is just fine. And God's got this new plan for us. Essentially what we're saying is we often prefer what we're used to. Even if the used to is not as good as, it's not as, it's not as important, it might even be destructive as we talked one week. But the point is this, that God has this brand new thing, but our, and we know that if God does it, it's going to be better, but are we willing to risk that? Are we willing to do what, is, what he's called us to do when, when we already, we're familiar here, we're comfortable with where we are, and, and he's saying that sometimes people would just prefer not to make that shift, not to make that change because we often prefer what we're used to. But let me give you one final thought that I've grabbed out of this as I walk through it. And this is the one that, that we take it back to verse 38, which I think is the key here, where he says that no, we're to, uh, he says verse 38, no, we, we know that you don't pour new wine into old wineskins. We, we get that. That's not what you do. And, and I want to talk about what that looks like. Because here's really what I think God is saying to us. I think he's telling us that God will create new wineskins before he gives new wine. Here's what we got. We know that this isn't talking about jeans and wineskins like this. It's talking about the wineskins are our hearts. And before God can do a new work through us, he's going to have to do a new work in us. He's going to have to change the wineskins. There's got to be a change of heart. Here's the picture. New wine requires new wineskins. So if we, you know what he's talking about, new wine, God's new work requires a new heart. It requires something to change inside of us. God makes us say, this is ridiculous. No one does that. Pours old wine. So God will not pour his new work into something old that can't handle it, that's not ready for it, that's not prepared to receive it. The fact is, we might not be experiencing some of God's new things simply because we're not ready for it. Our hearts aren't in the place where they can handle what God has for us. Sometimes we may be frustrated and, and not seeing how this can work and all because First, God is working to change our hearts because that's what God, he's got to work for you. And, but that work may start by changing who you are and what you think, changing you from the inside out. This should put a whole new significance on all the things that you face. You're going through difficulty. You're going through hard times. You're going through just life. 
And sometimes it makes sense, and many times it doesn't, but do you understand all of that is a part of God shaping and changing your heart so that you can receive what he's going to do. It's a matter of the heart has to change because God won't pour old wine or new wine into old wine skins. New wine is not for old hearts. He's going to have to make some changes. And, and like this illustration, he doesn't just patch up the old. What God is in the business of doing is making things new. That's what, that's what God does. That's what his history has been. I, I heard, read an article this week. A guy talks about let, let God stretch you, and he's talking about the wineskin. And, and I get that because sometimes it's just we got to let him give flexibility to our lives. But I would take that a step further, that stretching my, my old wineskin is probably not what needs to happen. I need a new one. Because my old wine skin, if I try to push it into where I am now without him changing me, it's probably not going to go so well. He's got to change my heart before he can give me, before he'll work through me in the way that he has designed in this, in this new fashion, in this new way. You realize that's how this whole walk with God starts. Because when we talk about our need for Christ and we talk about who we are, we start off in the same boat. We're sinners before a holy God separated from him. Our lives are broken. Our hearts are broken. Our future has, we have no future without, without Christ. And so through him, he gave his life. He lived. He died. He rose again so that we can have forgiveness of all of our sins. We can have eternal life if we'll put our faith and trust in him. That's all amazing stuff. But here's one other thing that God says that happens when all of that relationship begins with him. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, look at this. The new creation has come. The old is gone and the new is here. God doesn't just, you know, rehabilitate our, our lives. He doesn't just kind of fix them. He gives us a new life. He gives us a new spiritual existence from here and forever. It, the old is gone. It's all brand new. That's how God does things. If you've not yet received Christ as Savior, with your, your sins that need to be forgiven. Eternal life can be a part of your future, but God wants to make you brand new. That's what God does. So before he's going to put his spirit in you and before you do anything, he's going to change your heart, and that's what he does through Jesus Christ. But I know I'm talking to many of you who have already, you've already experienced that new life. You're a new creation. You've received Christ as Savior. So we're talking now about Christians, followers of Christ, but we live under the influence of a world that doesn't recognize God. And we're in, a, we're in a dangerous, possibly dangerous thing. In fact, in some ways, it seems like it would just be easier if, if we just, Christians, we just all kind of huddled together and we didn't, we just kind of cut off all the influence from the outside so we could just be good together and be perfect together. It sounds great. And there are some Christians who try that. But let me just, just warn you, you get a bunch of Christians in a room you get them in the same area, you're still going to have problems. you know why? Because we're still Christian humans. We're still going to have issues. In fact, I, I, I dare to say that you could go off by yourself on a mountaintop somewhere and just live your life, and, and now it'll be perfect. It's just me and God, and I promise you you're going to have problems because you're still human. You're still, you've not reached it yet. We're in a world that, that is actually adverse to who we are. The problem is this. That we have a father who loves us, cares for us, has a plan for us, but we're fighting a devil who wants to zap us, to destroy, destroy our lives, our, our spiritual effectiveness, all of those things. And yes, we're new creations, 
but we have to have a constant renewal of, of our hearts and our minds if we're going to be able to let God do a work in our heart. Romans chapter 12, verse number 2. He said, do not be or do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed, look at this, by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll know and be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Christians, on daily basis, we need a renewal of what God has done us. We, we, our hearts can't handle what God is going to do unless he's constantly renewing us, unless he's giving us a new, a new heart, a, a daily renewed existence in who he is. That's what God has to do in, in, in our lives. So part of what God has been doing, what he is doing, is he's changing our hearts so that he can then do his work through our, our lives. Here's what I know in my life. Sometimes... Sometimes I want God just to add a patch. I kind of like the old life, but I see it's not perfect. So God, if you just give me a shiny new patch, you know, right here, that'd be great. Just give me a little bit, but I still kind of, here's what God says. Dude, you need a new heart, a renewed heart on a daily basis. I want to do something in your life, but I'm going to have to move from the inside out for that to happen. So here's what my prayer has become this week. And I'm going to share this with you, and I hope you'll grab maybe a version of this prayer. But this is what I've been praying for this week. Lord, I want the new wine. I want it to do the new thing that you have for me. So please give me a new skin, a new heart. What does that look like in my life? Here's one thing that I've learned. It's a phrase that maybe you've heard before. But I promise you, repentance always precedes revival. If you need, if you, you, God's going to do something in our life, in our church, and all that revival, that's what we've been praying for. You know where it's going to start? Is he's going to show us one by one, piece by piece. Here's the things that I'm working on in your heart. And we repent, and we turn, and we let God change us. That's when revival can come. I don't know what all that means for me personally. But I know Step by step, piece by piece, God is doing something in my heart. I know that. And I know he's preparing me to do but he's starting here. I don't know at all what he's doing in your heart and in your life. But I have a sneaking suspicion that you know a little bit of what that looks like. There's an attitude, maybe. Maybe it's an action. Maybe it's a habit. Maybe it's a critical spirit. Maybe it's not forgiving someone or not being humble enough to ask for forgiveness, holding on to bitterness. The list could go on and on. I don't know. I don't know what your heart condition is, but I know God does, and I have a feeling you have some ideas. So here's, here's the thing. Are we willing to say, God, as you show me and you start changing my heart, I will surrender. I will, I will repent. I will let you change I don't know for sure what God has in mind for us as a church. Sometimes when we talk about a new normal, people are saying, what does that mean? The new method? I, I don't know what all that, there may be some minor adjustments I guarantee you that we'll make. There may be some major changes. I, I don't know what that'll look like, but here's what I do know. God wants to change his church piece by piece, member by member, heart by heart, so that he can do a work in this world, in this community. And that's what we're praying that God will do. I'm praying he'll do that in my life. I pray that you'll do the same because if we'll let him change our hearts, he will change this world through us. 
So I take us back to where we started. God is doing something. Am I ready and willing to join him? Would you bow your heads with me, please? Our heads are bowed and eyes are closed. I'm going to give you a moment. Think about what we've looked at today and even respond to God in prayer that way. But I just, just want to take a moment and reemphasize two things. There's two groups of people in this room. Two groups of people watching us online. One of those groups have not yet received that new creation of Jesus Christ. It, at this moment, if you were to die, you would die in your sins, separated from God. But Jesus died and rose again so that you could have new life, so that you could have forgiveness, so that you could have eternal life. If you haven't received him, my invitation to you is, would you call out to God and receive his gift? Would you call to him and say, God, I recognize that I'm a sinner. I believe that Jesus died and rose again for me. I repent of my sin and want to follow you with my life. Would you just receive his gift today? Let him give you new life. That's one group. That may be where you are, and I hope that you will pray to him. But the other group is those who have received that new life. We're Christians, and we got to remember we need to be renewed on a regular, daily, consistent basis so that we can have our hearts ready to do what God has called us to do. So whatever God is saying to you, whatever that looks like for your life, what does that mean? Would you take the next few seconds and just word that prayer back to God? God, maybe it's just a start. You don't even know what that includes right now, but it's God. As you show me, I, I, want to, I want that new wine, so I want you to change this old wineskin. Make it what it needs to be. Maybe you do know some of the specifics, and you begin now to deal with that and let God change your heart. I want to pray with you, and I want to pray for you. And then I want to give you just a second to, to pray on your own back to him. If you have questions, if you have comments. If you're online, you can write questions or just say, call me. We would love to get in touch with you. Or right here, you want to meet afterwards, you have questions. But let's just take what God has said and let's let him speak to us. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for this day, for what you've taught us. Lord, I believe you are in the process of changing our hearts. Sometimes we fight that process. And Lord, I pray that we will be ready and willing to let you change us from the inside out. If there's one listening to me that has not yet received Christ as Savior, draw them, please, to yourself today. Let them receive the new life of Jesus Christ. For every believer that's listening to me, may we say, God, as you show me, as you begin to change me, I will submit, I will follow you. Lord, please show us what that looks like. Before we end this prayer, with our heads bowed and eyes closed, let me just encourage you watching or here in the room with me, just take a moment and just pray those thoughts to God. However God is speaking to you, take and give him that part of your heart, your life today.